Let's pray. Oh God, we come this morning with, with thankfulness and with anticipation, Lord, that we get to hear from you this morning as you speak to us by your Holy Spirit through your word. Lord, I pray that we would not be dull about the things of God, Lord, but that you would open our ears to hear. Lord, that you would warm our hearts. I just think about the men on the road to Emmaus and as they heard Jesus share of who he was from the Old Testament, that their hearts burned within them. Uh, Lord, may that be our response to your word this morning. We thank you and we pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. As we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, we've, we've gone through almost the entire book of, the, of Ecclesiastes and, and Solomon seems to strike a chord that resonates with many people in our culture today and that is the chord of the futility of life. I think for, for many around us, life seems to have no purpose. Even with our constant contact with each other over the internet or through our cell phones, you know, whether it's texting or tweeting or Facebook or whatever it might be, it's, it's interesting to see, even though there's probably never been a time where we have been more connected, there is much more loneliness and hopelessness and isolation and just people who are searching for meaning and truth in our world. And as Solomon starts out this book, he talks about uh, this unending circle of events in life where there seems to be no meaning. It just seems to be like life is going through these cycles. People are born, then they die, and then they're soon forgotten. And no matter what it is that people seek to pursue in this life under the sun, as he says it, it just seems to be a dead end. Whether they give themselves to seek pleasure and hedonism, or maybe they give themselves to working hard and seeking to be successful. Maybe they have aspirations for power and control. Maybe it's to be wealthy and to have money. Maybe it's a noble task of seeking to be educated and to be a person who is wise. Nothing in all creation can bring us real lasting pleasure. Solomon says, but the good news is, is that there is more to life than what we experience here upon this earth, more than what we encounter with our five senses. There is life above the sun where God dwells and he reigns. But even as Christians, uh, it's easy to forget this in the midst of the grind of everyday life, is it not? It seems that, that everything is constantly pulling our attention away from God. And many times when we sl down, slow down long enough to think about how we are living our lives, even sometimes for Christians, life can feel purposeless. Like we're this rat on a wheel that's just sort of going and going and going and going. That is, until we refocus upon the Lord. And so Solomon takes our hand and he, he really walks us through life. And he looks under every nook and cranny of our existence. And then as we come to chapter 11, he begins to wrap up the matter. And he begins to give us sort of the bottom line, right? Sort of the conclusion to what life is like under the sun. And really last week, as we looked at verses 1 through 6, and then this week and next week, we're sort of covering the totality of the conclusions that, that he makes and last week we saw that he said, that, look, as we look at life honestly, 
and see how futile it is, especially in the face of uncertainties of life. He says, we must not be timid, nor must we give in to hopelessness, but we must exercise faith in all that we do. He says, cast your bread upon the waters and it will return. And even though we feel inadequate at times uh, to face the uncertainties of life and we feel overwhelmed by the what ifs, and we may not always understand exactly what it is that God's will is, he says that we are to live by faith. We are to live boldly by faith in doing those things that we know that God has called us to do. And today as we come to our text, he, he tells us to, um, he calls us to three things. First of all, he calls us to rejoice. Second of all, he calls us to remove. And third, he calls us to remember. To rejoice, remove, and remember. So the first thing we see in verses 7 through 9 is that we are called to rejoice in the goodness of life. Even though we know that life is vanity or is futile under the sun. The preacher says in verse 7, Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Now, God is, is calling us both uh, young and old, as we're going to see in the verses coming up, to enjoy life. And as a matter of fact, enjoyment uh, is not only permitted by God, but he's telling us to do so. Do you hear that? So as Christians, he's saying, enjoy life. You know, I've, I've heard Christians sort of uh, described as old sourpusses. But that's, that's not really the picture that you get in Scripture that God says, delight in what I've given you. It is in our enjoying our, our lives in this world that God has made that we show him that we have grasped his goodness and that we are thankful to him for what he has given to us. I mean, Christmas is coming, right kids? Christmas is coming. And imagine that you've been wanting something for Christmas and your parents give it to you. And you open the gift and you go, yay, all right, I got it. And you take the gift. You don't even take it out of the box. You just take it and you set it on your shelf. And, and the days go by and the months go by and you never play with it. And there's that gift sitting on your shelf in your bedroom. And you never even interact with that gift. What are your parents going to think? Okay, they seemed excited about it, but yet then they just sort of leave it there. So what's up with that? Now, contrast that with maybe a gift that a little one gets and they wanted a stuffed animal and they open it on Christmas and they're like, yes, I got the, the stuffed animal. And they hug that stuffed animal and they drag that poor thing around everywhere they go, across the floor in the living room. You know, when they go outside to play on the swing set, they're dragging that crazy stuffed animal with them. You know, they love that thing everywhere. I mean, and after a while it gets dirty and mom is thinking, okay, how can I get the stuffed animal away from this child long enough to put it in the washing machine so I can make it look at least decent again and so it doesn't smell so nasty. You know, but if you contrast those two, you see that the second child loves that gift so much and therefore appreciates their parents for what they had given to them. And in many ways, that's what God calls us to do, to have that joy and that happiness and that delight in all that he has given to us. And he tells us uh, not only uh, that 
those who are old should do that, but even those that are young as well. But let's look at, first of all, those who are older. He says in verse 8, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. It's good to find joy and pleasure in life as we grow older. And there's so many things that we can rejoice about. Things that are just really simple things. You know, like maybe the softness of a baby's skin. Or maybe the first beam of sunlight of a new day. If you're a person who rises early in the morning and you see that darkness give way to light, it's just a glorious event. Or maybe a rainbow that stands against the dark rain clouds and you just see the contrast of the darkness and the colors. Or, or a blazing campfire. Or maybe taking a walk on a crisp fall morning. Or maybe the sound of laughter at a family gathering as stories are being shared about the past. All those things are sweet things in life. And, and, and they bring many blessings to us. And what a joy it is, therefore, to live for, for many days. Not just to serve the Lord, as we saw in verses 1 through 6, by acting in faith. But also because we have more opportunity to enjoy the goodness of life. It reminds me of an old saint in the Lord who was feeling his age. And so people were feeling sorry for him because his body was getting older and, and he couldn't get around as well. And he says, hey, he says, don't feel sorry for me for getting older. Because he says, with the Lord, life just gets better and better. Amen. It sort of reminds us of, of the words of, of the psalmist, you know. For the faithful believer, long life is a blessing from God. And Psalm 91 says, With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And as we get to walk with the Lord all the days of our life, it is truly a delight. And the appropriate response is for us to rejoice in him and to praise him for the goodness of life. But if you've been alive, you know, it doesn't have to be that long. You soon and quickly realize that not all of life is sweetness and light. That Solomon reminds us that if we were to live uh, many years, he says in verses 7 and 8, remember that the days of darkness will be many. Now, Solomon has shared throughout this book how life is uncertain and difficult and even full of disappointment. That's the one thing I like about the book of Ecclesiastes. It's very realistic about life. He doesn't pull any punches. And so he says we will taste those sweet times in our lives, but there will also be times where there is great bitterness. And those of you who have walked this road of life for some years can attest to this. You know that sooner or later, everyone is going to suffer loss, right? You're going to suffer disappointment. You're going to suffer injustice. You're going to suffer grief. And so Solomon says at the end of verse 8, all that comes is vanity. It is futile. Now, when the preacher tells us that we will have many dark days, he's not trying to be cynical and trying to rob us of our joy. It's not like he's a Debbie Downer. And instead, he's telling us to enjoy life as much as we can. If it's, not, it's not as if God's goodness expires you know, as we get older. It's not like the older you get, the darker your days get. There will be sweetness all the days of our lives here upon this earth because God is good and faithful and so we can rejoice in him. But because life is a mixed bag of bitter and sweet, uh, we must 
to, t- to rejoice, we, it, it takes effort. Okay, we can't just sit back and think that our natural response will be to rejoice in the Lord. But we must take an effort to do so, looking for God's blessings in life, noting His promises in His Word, and then as we see those promises become a reality in our lives, then we give thanks to Him and we rejoice in Him. So let us not take life for granted. Don't complain about your problems the way older people sometimes do. It's so easy to do so. Oh, well, my back is hurting me and I just can't quite get along or, you know, or I'm just can't sleep. It seems like I'm up at the crack of dawn and, you know, sometimes you're around folks that are older and it seems like all you hear is a complaint festival. But we need to be careful not to do so. In the book of Jude, this tiny little book in the New Testament, in Jude, uh, there's only one chapter. So in verse 14, Jude talks about how the Lord will come with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds uh, that they have committed in an ungodly way. So it talks about his coming judgment. But then Jude goes on in verse 16 and he tells us who those ungodly people are. And do you know what he mentions first? He said, these are grumblers. Those people who complain. Those people who murmur about their life. Now, I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but that strikes a little too close to home. Isn't that easy to do? That our circumstances are not quite the way that we want, and so we begin to to complain and gripe and grumble. And yet, the Scriptures tells us that is a very heinous sin, and, and so we ought not to give in to that. But rather, our attitude ought to be that of the psalmist in Psalm 118.24, where the psalmist says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So the call to rejoice is not just for the, the elderly, but also for those who are younger as well. So older people are to praise God for their length of days, but the young people are to praise God for the strength of their youth. You know, this is what the preacher says in verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Young people have many blessings in life, sometimes blessings they don't even realize. You know, they have fewer cares that... um, they have fewer of the cares that comes with having adult responsibilities. Uh, I thought it was interesting this week. I overheard a conversation where an adult in our congregation was talking to one of the kids in our congregation. And I think the kid had said that they can't wait to become an adult. And the adult said, well, yeah, I understand that, that you want to become. But there's a lot of responsibility that comes when you get to be an adult. You know, you get married, you have kids, but possibly you, you're working. You know, they've got bills. There's all these things that come. And that's so true. But so there's blessing in having less of those cares. But there's also a blessing in youth and and their bodies are strong. And oftentimes they're getting stronger. Kids, as you're growing, your muscles are developing. uh, Your intellect is developing as well. Their future is full of possibilities. There's freedom to take risk. 
And because if, if something happens, you can always go in a new direction. It seems like you have plenty of time. And you, so young people still dream that they can make a difference in the world. And these are all reasons that youth can rejoice. But then we read at the end of verse 9 what sounds, what our family calls Disney theology. You know, just follow your heart. It's in every Disney movie. I think it's a requirement by law, right? Okay, or follow the heart's, your heart's desire. That's what it almost sounds like Solomon is saying. And too often, that's what youth do. They think mainly about themselves. Now, I'm not saying that every young person does that, and I'm not saying that every young person does that all the time. But they can expect everyone to sort of operate on their schedule. Right, mom and dad? They, they can live for the moment and they don't always stop to think about the consequences of their actions. Uh, when they buy things, sometimes they are very impulsive. And rather than cleaning up after themselves, they leave a mess behind. Uh, sometimes they take the immediate pleasure of sex without making the long-term love commitment of marriage. And so there's all these things that can come with with youthfulness and the preacher knows that young people face many temptations so he gives them a caution at the end of verse 9 and he says walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment now Solomon reminds young people that every time they follow their hearts and they do what looks good to themselves that they will have to give an answer to God for what they have done. Now, the word judgment here actually literally means the judgment. So most likely he's talking about the, the judgment day, that God judges when God judges the secret of men's hearts, as we see in Romans 2.16. And I know if you're young, that that day seems like a long ways away. Maybe too far off to make any difference in your daily decisions of life. You can think, oh yeah, I know someday I'll stand before God, but that's not going to come for 70 or 80 or 90 years. But the reality is, is that the judge is always near and he sees everything. I mean, even as we read in the book of Job, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Now, the preacher's not seeking to, to suck all the joy out of life, but instead he's just reminding us to, to live before God in a way that would cause us to rejoice in Him. We are not to enjoy life in sinful ways. You see, Satan has this ability to take those things that God has made that are good and to twist them and to pervert them and to make themselves into something other than something good. Usually everything that's a temptation yeah, is really a good thing that the Lord has given to us. And God doesn't want us to give in to these perversions. Young people, I want you to hear this. Don't give in to those perversions. But instead, follow the Lord. He wants you to enjoy the goodness of the things that He has given to you. And so uh, He commands us, like Paul commands Timothy, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness with love and peace along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. So we are to rejoice in the goodness of life. But he also tells us that we are to remove something. We are to remove those things inside and outside of us that rob us of joy. Okay, after his call to the young and to the old to rejoice, 
then the preacher gives us a call to remove those things inside and outside of us that robs us of joy. Look at verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Now, vexation is not a word that I think we typically use, right? You know, most people don't go around talking about their vexations and, and things like that. But it refers to those things that, 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 that angers us, that, that grieves us, that, that irritates us. Do you have people like that in your life, uh, circumstances in your life that just seems to feel like fingers on a chalkboard and just sort of cause the hair on the back of your neck to stand up? Well, well, the danger of giving in to this kind of attitude in response to people and circumstances in our lives is that oftentimes that can begin to grip our hearts and lead us to cynicism and pessimism. If we're to live a life of joy, we must learn to cope with cynicism at its roots. And, and I would suggest to you that one way to do that is to learn contentment regardless of the circumstances. To learn contentment regardless of the circumstances. Now, I'm going to give a little commercial here. I get absolutely nothing for this, except maybe that you might benefit from this as well. But I've been reading this wonderful book by Jeremiah Burroughs, one of the Puritans. And it's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. A great book. Very convicting book. It's one of these books that I determined I'm not going to read through quickly. I'm going to chew on this like steak. And... Uh, you know, one of the very first points he makes is that contentment is not something that comes quickly to the Christian. It is something that you learn. It is something that we learn over time as we learn to abide. It's a lot like, I guess, like learning patience, I guess. But as, as we learn that, that sense of contentment, and he talks in his book about how Contentment does not come by changing the circumstances of your life or changing your interaction with people. Where contentment comes from is how you learn to respond to those things in a godly way. And, and as you do so, and as you learn that contentment, it wards off that cynicism and that pessimism. And it becomes a safe haven in which joy can flourish. But also... Um, rather than dwelling on all the things that are going on our lives, that are going wrong with our lives, we should count our blessings, as the old hymn says, one by one, right? Count your blessings, name them one by one. You know, that's, that's what we're to do. If we say to the Lord, Lord, thank you for all your goodness to me, that has very little impact upon our lives. But if we say, Lord, I am so thankful, because I'm dense, God, that... You have written down your word. You know, you didn't give it to us orally. You gave it to us in writing. I can go back and I can read this and I can dwell upon this. Lord, I thank you for the blessing of my family. I know sometimes they're irritating and sometimes I'm irritating to them. But you know, it's a great family. And Lord, I thank you so much for that. Lord, I thank you for the church that you have given me. That I go there and, and I don't have to pretend. I can be myself and people accept me as I am. And they're not perfect, and they're not trying to be perfect, but they all trust in the gospel. Lord, I thank you for those things. And as we list those things one by one, it begins to fuel the, uh, our hearts to rejoice and, and to praise God. But also, it might be, if you wrestle with pessimism, that you might consider seeking out a Christian friend 
that might help you to see your life and your circumstances from a biblical perspective. And, and finally, I would say we must go to the Lord in prayer. Not just a quick prayer, Lord, deliver me or help me, but just this abiding prayer that returns to the Lord throughout the day. That's what Paul talks about in Philippians 4, verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then he gives us a great promise. And he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we must not give ourselves to this, these vexations, these internal struggles that we have of anger and irritation. But he also says, secondly, that we need to be careful that we need not be robbed in joy in our flesh. Now, this could be physical weariness, but also moral frailty. But what Solomon is encouraging us is that if our sufferings are physical, it's right for us to seek uh, remedy from that. Okay, If you are struggling with things physically um, and it is in your control to change those things, you ought to do so. It may be that you are just running yourself ragged. You are running like a, you know, like a, uh, a one-legged runner, you know, and you're just struggling. You're, you're just trying to do too much. And it may be that you just need to rest. It may need to, you need to slow down. Uh, but there may be things in your life that you're wrestling with physically that maybe you've neglected going to the doctor and having things checked on. Those kind of things are appropriate and things that we are to do. But we must do so in a way that honors the Lord. That doesn't give us a license to drown our sorrows in alcohol or illegal drugs or things like that. But, but one of the reasons why the preacher tells us to remove pain and vexation is because he knows that we don't stay young forever. Youth is fleeting and it doesn't last long. One day it seems like we're young and strong, but almost before we know it, it seems like those days are gone. And I heard a person describe this this week this way. They said, you know, we almost seem like a young person trapped in an old person's body. Do we not? You know, inside we think that we're still 17. And we feel that way. We feel like we can conquer the world. But our body quickly reminds us that's not true. You know, but uh, so the preacher calls us to live free from care as long as we can. But then his last instruction is mainly for young people, although maybe the people who understand it the best are the older people. And this is what he says. He says, remember, remember your creator. Look at verse one of chapter 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. You see here, Koheleth or the, the preacher is calling us to live a God-centered life, making God the, making the God who made the universe our first and our highest priority. In fact, this is the key to all the other things that he has called us to do in this passage. And the reason we're able to rejoice in our long years of life or else in our youth and strength is because every day is a gift from the Creator God, right? The reason we need to walk in holy ways is because our maker is also our judge. And the best remedy for any pain or vexation is to cast our cares upon the Lord, our God, who made us and knows all about us. 
Everything that the preacher has said in this passage assumes and requires that the close presence of God. To remember God is to live our whole lives for Him. It's to be mindful of God in every circumstance. That means including Him in all our plans. It means praising Him for all His blessings. It means praying to Him through all of our troubles. And of course, the best time in life to do this is when you're still young. Young enough to give a whole lifetime to God's service. So don't wait until you're so old that you don't have much desire to do anything because life has lost its pleasure. Rather, give your life to God now, young people, while you still have enough passion to make a difference in the world. Remember God when you're at home and when you're at school. Remember Him outside in, in His creation and indoors when you're in the kitchen or the bedroom or wherever. Remember Him at work and at play whether you're playing baseball or you're playing violin, whatever it might be, don't forget about God, but remember Him in everything you do. And, and I love the way he describes it in verses 2 through 5. The time to remember our Creator is before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors of the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desires fail." Now, the imagery in this poem is really a reference to the increasing weakening of our bodies as we get older. Okay, now precisely which part of the body each line of this poem is referring to, commentators have a whole lot of different opinions about that, but everybody seems to agree. And I mean, you think about it. You know, sometimes it just it is. It's like your body feels like this dilapidated old house and it's sort of falling apart. And you do sometimes as you get older, feel like you're dragging your body like a grasshopper dragging across the ground. That maybe the, the windows are, you know, are a little dim and you can't see so well. And, and he's saying, but the point is, is that young persons need to begin acting in and living by faith in their youth. Don't wait until you get older Parents, raise your children to remember their Creator. Don't let a day go by that you don't draw them back to the heart of their God. But kids, kids, listen to your parents. I know that sports and, and drama and music and all these things seem so important. And these things draw at your heart. You want to belong to the crowd. You want to do all these things. But listen to your parents. As Solomon says, dark and difficult days are sure to come. And the wise young person is prepared for them. Ahead are years of unpleasantness. Now that doesn't mean all of your life is going to be unpleasant. But with getting older, like I said before, oftentimes comes marriage and children and work and such. And with these things comes increasing responsibilities. And he, Solomon even takes us to the end in verses 6 and 7 and talks about death. He said, one day you will die. And, and you can ask anybody here who's 
50 and older, maybe 40 and older, I don't know. But it seems like things happen before you know it. That youth passes quickly into adulthood. I know kids, you don't feel like that. You feel like it's going to be forever before you get to be a teenager or to be an adult. But boy, it seems like once you're a teenager, that youth passes quickly into adulthood. Adulthood quickly to middle age and then middle age quickly to old age. And before you know it, you're like, I'm there. And I know it's hard, young people, to appreciate what Solomon is telling you in your own experience because this doesn't seem like what life is, is going to be like. And that's why he's telling you to listen to the advice of your elders and prepare for that day that is sure to come. And these are sober realities of life and death that everyone has to face. And the call of the preacher is to remember our Creator now before all these things happen Remember God now while you still have your wits about you. Remember God now while you're still charting your course in life. Making important decisions about what to do with your talents and your future. Remember your creator now before you forget the God who made you. And you make a lot of bad decisions that you're going to regret later. Remember God now while you still have a whole lifetime to live for his glory. As Charles Bridges once said, he says, Many have remembered too late, but none too soon. It can never be too soon to remember the Lord. And this passage is not just for, for young people. I hope, young people, that you will take these things to heart. The entire book of Proverbs is written you know, from a, a parent to their son or, or to their child, wanting them to follow the ways of the Lord. So this is a theme throughout Scripture. But it's also for people who are growing old. Growing old and facing death, brothers and sisters, I have to say, are some of the hardest experiences in life. And the Bible is very honest about this. I think it's interesting, though, that the Bible is not bitter about it. Because there is genuine encouragement for older saints and this passage shows God's loving care for his people all throughout their life, even down to old age, even to the grave. The scripture says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, Psalm 116. But it's not only the death of the saints that's precious to God, but they are precious to him throughout the whole process of aging through their whole life. So be encouraged by this as well. Your creator remembers you even if you don't always remember him. The security of our salvation doesn't de depend upon our remembrance of God, but on his remembrance of us. And so the psalmist prays in Psalm 71, O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me. Or it's Jesus said in John chapter 6, verses 39 and 40, which we read in Sunday school this morning. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And Jesus has promised to remember us from now until the last of days when he will raise us up to eternal life. So be encouraged by the promise of the resurrection that those who die believing in Christ will live and will be young forever. Like the 
preacher in Ecclesiastes, the Apostle Paul, understood that one day the old house of our earthly bodies will be destroyed. But he also believed that our bodies would be rebuilt. And in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And this new house, of course, is our resurrected bodies of everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe this is why some old saints are very young at heart. Have you known Christians like that? That they might be in their 80s, they might be in their 90s, they may be over 100 years old, but you would swear that they were the oldest teenagers alive. You know, they just are full of life. Their outlook is so positive because they know the hope they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the promise of Psalm 92, which compares the righteous to a palm tree growing in the house of God. This is what it says in Psalm 92, 14. They still bear fruit in old age, the psalmist says. They are ever full of sap and green. You see, even as they grow old, the righteous are alive by the power of the Holy Spirit living in them. And though they are outwardly wasting away, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, they are being renewed day by day. They live in the hope of eternal life where they know that they will be young again. Amen? Such words of promise and hope. Uh, let us heed these words this morning. Let's bow just for a time of silence and and meditation to think about the things that we have heard this morning from the Word of God. Please bow with me. Lord, we thank you so much as we come this morning to be reminded of your great love and goodness to your people. And God, you are not like the gods of mythology who are uh, wicked and evil, self-serving, but you are a God of love. And Lord, let us know your love this morning and let us heed the words that you have spoken to us to know that the things that you say, you say because you love us so much and you want us to have the very best of the best of the best. And I pray, Lord, this morning, whether we are young, whether we are old, or somewhere in between, dear God, that we would give our hearts to you, that we would remember you as our creator. And I pray, Lord, that if there's any that are here today who do not know you, that Lord God, that is the hound of heaven, that you would hound their soul until they bow their knee before you and acknowledge you as Lord and Savior and King. Oh, dear God, we thank you for your goodness to us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.